Father, we thank You for this time again. You're so faithful to bring us together uh, every week uh, around Your Word and to the to the uh, the, the purpose of uh, exalting Your Son in our hearts and in our minds. And we pray that You do that again this week, that You would once again show Yourself by Your Spirit to be active in our lives uh, through the ministry of Your Word as we discuss... Uh, of all things, Leviticus. Um, we thank you that all scriptures God breathed, and it's profitable for us. And so we pray that 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 uh, is proven yet again today. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the hope that we have in Him. We pray that we live as those who believe the hope and are preparing ourselves for His coming. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, we are in Leviticus 8, and we're working through the ordination of the priesthood, and um, we, we've kind of taken it in three sections, and we're today going to look at the last uh, stage of this ordination ritual. We've seen that Aaron and his sons uh, were washed, kind of a humbling thing, they were, uh, they were, they were uh, Aaron was anointed, they were clothed with special clothing, the ritual clothing. Uh, there were three sacrifices done. We reviewed that, reviewed that last week. The three sacrifices, sin offering, burnt offering, and the ordination offering. Uh, we talked about those things. And after, uh, after these sacrifices are done, there's still one more stage that they have to go through for their ordination. Before we begin, though, have you ever... Have you ever had a time where there's something that you are ready to do, that you're set to do, you've trained to do, you're ready to go, and you have to wait? I'm ready to do this. Here I am. And you have to wait. Any, anybody? Show of hands. No, never had that happen? My whole life is waiting. What are you talking about? Yeah, I know. But, but there are certain times there are specific things that we just have to wait for. That's what we're looking at uh, a little bit today. Uh, with with these guys have been at this now, um, you know, for for a little while with all this blood, all this washing, all this stuff, and here they are uh, here at the last stage, ready to go. And look what they have to do. Chapter eight, verse thirty. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar, and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments, and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments, and his son and his sons' garments with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it, and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings, as I command, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it, and what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire. And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for it will take seven days to ordain you. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day 
and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged so that you do not die. For so I have been commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses. Alright, what does he do first? Start with verse 30. What happens first? The last, the last little, little ritual here. He does an anointing with what? Oil and blood. Right? You see this? There's oil, and then there's, where do they get the oil from? What's the oil usually used for? What is that? That's a special blend that they use to anoint the tabernacle. And the blood comes from? Where's the blood come from? The sacrifice of the altar, right? So you have two things that are intimately associated with the tabernacle placed on them. They're anointed with these things. They're, they're sprinkled with these things on their clothes and on their garments. Um, these men, this family, is now intimately connected with the tabernacle and the sacrificial institution. Hasn't Aaron already been sprinkled with this stuff? I mean, didn't we read about that before? He's washed, then he's anointed with the oil, he had some blood sprinkled on Didn't this already happen? This one says something with the garments as well. With the garments as well, okay. He, he had had that done before though, right? By himself. Why is this, why would he have to have this done again? What do you think? All for a different purpose. Okay, what, what do you think that purpose would be? This sounds like the whole priesthood. Right? It's everybody, everybody this time. He, he is special from the priesthood. He's the head of it, but the whole priesthood is, is also special. Okay. He's set apart to minister to the, to the priests to, and, and the people. He's kind of a special, the general among soldiers kind of guy. And yet you see it again, him once more being anointed and sprinkled with this atoning blood. Yes? Was one to kind of make him pure, like as a person, and this one kind of his inauguration, his ordination is beginning there are a lot of theories and 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 I think there's some of that going on some of the smart guys say that perhaps this is a symbol of ratification of the covenant that this is like that that closing ceremony okay this is finalizing it this is happening this is the deal others say that perhaps it displays the deep extent of the consecration of the priest they're cleansed again and again, and again. There's that idea. It could be both. <laughs> it could be all of that, all together, uh, or one at a time. I think it's, it's probably all of it. Whatever it was, it was significant enough a ritual to be repeated in this ordination several times. What does that tell you about them, these guys who are being sprinkled with this stuff? What, is it, what does it tell you? They need it again. These are not men who are set apart because they're holy. These are men who are sinful, who are made ritually holy by these sacrifices, by this anointing, and they're, they're set apart as priests to lead as models to the people of what obedience to God looks like, and yet they need atoning. They need anointing. And it's done again and again and again. And... and it's just a, a, a constant reminder of who they are. All right. Everything to this point has been done to Aaron and his sons. Wash me. Right? Clothe me. 
anoint me, sprinkle me with blood. Everything's been done by Moses to the, to the priests. We get here in verse 31. Here it switches to what Aaron and his sons were supposed to do. What did they do first? What does it say? Boil the flesh. Was it just cook the meat? Right? Was mm. why? What are they about to do? What do you do when you boil flesh? You're gonna eat it. What does this mean? Why would they eat now? Because I'm hungry. Well, other than that, maybe it's finished. It's part of the ordination offering. There's a meal. And we've seen this before. At the end of some kind of covenant ritual, it ends with a peace offering that is a meal between the participants in the covenant. And you have here this final set of stuff they're supposed to do in this ordination ritual. And it's a meal. They're to eat. And how long are they supposed to do this? What does it say? Seven days. What does that mean? Why seven days? That we've seen again and again and again in the Old Testament. This this time frame. Completeness. It's a sign of completeness. What is it pulling from? Creation. Genesis. Creation. The seven day and God rested on the seventh day. The comp- the, uh, it's a sign of completeness. They're to boil the meat... And eat it with bread. Where are they when they do this? Okay, picture in your mind. You have a picture? It's got the Holy of Holies, then the Holy Place, and then the outer sanctuary, this open, exposed, this outer courtyard where the bronze altar is. That's where they're supposed to stay. Get a break from that? Day and night, they're in this place. They get to camp out in the courtyard and eat boiled meat and bread for seven days. Well, and, and good point. In Exodus 29, we're told that they're to do this every day. That if, we, if we pull those passages together, which is an exact replica, of, well, this is an exact replica of that, showing that they fulfilled it. They're to, they're to eat a that's a lot of meat every day, actually. But, I mean, you think three meals a day, you know, typically, unless they're hobbits and they eat like 17 times a day or something like that. But, but they're eating a, a, a bull a day here um, with the bread, and, and, but they're camping out under the stars in the courtyard. Why don't they just go inside the holy place? The people can see them from the outside. The people can see them from the outside, yeah. Why don't they go in the holy place? They're not finished. They're priests, but they're not there yet. Right? You're not a Jedi yet. You know, you're not, they're not there yet. Well, why don't they go home at night? Why not take a break? See the wife and kids. What's that? There's uncleanliness outside of the sanctuary. And they're becoming ritually holy. That's the point of this. To take up service, to serve God. They can't go home because 
they might run into an armadillo and they get dirty. Now they got to be cleansed. In East Texas, that's going to happen every five minutes. So you might run into that, or you you can't go inside the holy place because you're not quite there. It's not complete. You're in a holding tank. What's that? It's purgatory. Oh man! All right, no. Um, the, the, yes, very little grace on the birthday. Go ahead. Yes, you're stretching. All right. Party favors. Not purgatory, but they're in this holding tank. Not indulgences. We're not doing that. No. We'll talk about alternate religions on Wednesday night. Okay. Outside the tabernacle, they're, they're not laymen either. So they're not allowed to go outside and defile themselves. They're still in this initiation stage. There's a meal to eat, meat and bread. Holy meat, sacrificial meat must be eaten by holy people in a holy place. What, what does it say if any of it's left over? What are they to do with it? They're burn it. It's, it's for them to eat, but it's still a sacrifice. This is still an ordination sacrifice, this bull. It's part of that ritual. And it's still... What does he say that it's to do for them? What does he say? This shall be what for you? Starts with A... And ends with atonement. <laughs> atonement. There's still this is to be a thing of atonement for them. But I thought they were already atoned for. Wasn't it the first sacrifice, the sin offering, then the burnt offering, the accept me, and then the, this is just like, hey, this is cool, this is an initiation thing. It's still atoning. What does that tell you? It's not perfect. It has to keep being done. Yeah. Um, so maybe jumping ahead, but um, seeing what Christ did on the cross because we had the eyes where we can sure. see all the way back. Yeah. It shows you how much Christ actually did cover all of this and all the different things they did and repeated again and again. And that's Hebrews, isn't it? He did. Yeah, and that's Hebrews. And, it sh- and, and he, the author of Hebrews says that specifically. We may get to that in, I think, 2021. Uh, chapter 7 of Hebrews where he talks about the, these guys come to it defiled. They come to it uh, sinful and they have to keep repeating the sacrifice again and again and again, but Christ comes once. Right? One time. Um, Alright. You have, uh, you have this, this, um, this burning of the leftovers. Why burn it? Why burn it? Yeah, and, 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 and we've talked about that a little bit before with these sacrifices. If it's left over, some of it you don't take outside. The camp. Number one, they're not leaving. Yeah. Number two, you don't take outside because it would defile the meat. And this is holy meat because it's for a holy purpose. And, and there's, remember, these are visuals of what's going on in the heart. This is a picture of what God is doing in the heart. All right. This is a closing... A ratification ceremony in celebration of the bond between the participants, and and here the the participants the participants participants are Yahweh and the priesthood. 
And the meal symbolizes that binding nature of the covenant. And it's for all time. They're not to leave for seven days. They're in the courtyard with the altar of burnt offering. Think about that. They're in the courtyard with the altar of burnt offering. Um, they were sprinkled with blood. One of the one of the smart guys said a, a really kind of cool thing. He said they're they're sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice so that they may make sacrifice of blood for others. That there's that intimate connection with this, and so they're sitting here in the shadow of the altar of sacrifice while they're waiting for their time of thorough cleansing. Um, what if they were not holy? What would happen? What does it say? If you do, you do these things so that you do not die. So that you will not die. So that you do not die. Now, if I'm, if I'm going through this process and I'm listening to Moses and, and I'm a butterfly and I'm doing one of these things, those words are going to catch my attention. You know, that ratchets it up a little bit so that you do not die. In fact, some of the smart guys think that this is an anticipatory language here for chapter 10. Uh, Nahab and Abihu got it wrong, so he roasted them. That's uh, Shia of Lynn has that in one of his songs. Uh, this is anticipating chapter 10 in some, in some of the smart guys' minds. But we'll, we'll get to that. I'll leave you in suspense, really, kind of with that. Because you, you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. All right. We've seen this again and again in pictures of the Old Testament that there's a, that there's a frame, uh, that, that they frame the context of our own time after the cross. And, and one of the things I try to be careful in, in preparing this stuff, these are analogies many times. Sometimes the, the way that the thing reads it, it, it is a, a symbol or a type or a shadow, but they can also be, you know, a symbol, a shadow of what's to come. There's a lot of that. But there's also a use of Scripture in the Old Testament to our New Testament context that is an analogy to what we're going through now. And you see this kind of analogy being used. In other words, I don't think this, the passage is directly teaching this, but it's analogous to something else. There's a distinction, you understand? I, I don't want to say that this means this, but I'm saying it's analogous to this. Does that make sense? I, I want to be fair in how we use the Old Testament. There's some schools of thought on how to do that, historical, grammatical, uh, you know, spiritualizing, whatever. They get through. I like biblical theology. I think it all points to Christ, but there's a way in which you do it that's fair to the text. And so this is, I think, an analogous use of it. Just, that's free hermeneutical kind of thing there. It's free. But there's a principle here that I think can be applied to our context. And you see this idea of being set apart, consecrated to perform a specific task used by Jesus himself about himself again and again and again and again in the New Testament. And just some examples. Um, to uh, To the Pharisees, he asks, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? He asked them that question. The Father consecrated, you're saying this to me, whom the Father consecrated 
and sent me into the world. There's a task I've been appointed to do. He consecrated me to do this. Uh, we've seen this in the high priestly prayer when he states, And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. This idea is used to show an act that has already been completed and an act that is ongoing. Um, those who are in Christ have been sanctified in Christ, past tense. Those uh, who are in Christ are being sanctified, present, active, tense. There's a task for which we have already been cleansed and sent to do. There is a task or a purpose for which we are being set apart now and for which we are waiting to be sent. Do you see this language in the New Testament often? Sent to do. I was uh, I told Tane this morning, I was really surprised to see this so close in Hebrews 10. That's 2026. Uh, Hebrews 10 talks about the same idea within a very short span. Uh, it, it, ten, 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 uh, verse 10 says, And by that will... In other words, Lord has written for me in the book, I've come to do your will. And he finishes the clause by saying, by that will, we have been, have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What's the promise? That we have been sanctified. I mean, sanctifying, the idea is there's a covenant involved. There's a promise made. You're set apart to do something as part of the covenant. What have we been sanctified, set apart to do now? What is it? Good works. Good works? Okay. For what purpose? Go and make disciples that the world may know. Somebody says something else. To glorify. Always a good answer in a very sovereign grace oriented church. Yes. So you have. The, the direct command I'm thinking of is, is go, right? Make disciples. That's, the, that's the, 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 the covenantal obligation that we've been given and sanctified, have been sanctified to do. That's a formal declaration. They're holy for this. They're set apart for this. If you're in Christ, go make more little Christs. That's the idea. Go make more Christians. Go add to the church. That's the, that's the mandate. That's the task set apart to do. Um, this is the covenant. Hebrews 10, uh, 16 through 17. This is the covenant. And Santa Biblia would be the El Pacto. This, that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I don't think that's in Duolingo, El Pacto. I haven't seen it yet. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. God's covenant is, I'm not going to remember the sin anymore. That's a formal declaration in the mind of God. I'm not going to count this against them because of the once for all sacrifice of Christ. That's his bargain. That's his promise for this task that he set us apart to do now. I've forgiven sin. Go be ministers of reconciliation. Go. Make disciples. Right? That, now. Alright. The, the covenant promise to us is that He's finished with our sin. It's done. That was His task for which He 
was sanctified and set apart. That was Christ's work. But he says to us, Now, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's John 20, 21. And he set us apart for that task now. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Why? He's awaiting, it's a waiting period for the church. It's ten days that they had from, from, from the crucifixion until Pentecost. Jesus was within 40 days. And from the 40 days to, Pente- to Pentecost was ten days. They're sitting there waiting in the upper room. What's going to happen? We're ready to go. No, not really. Sort of. What's going to happen? I'm sending you the promise. It's coming. And then you're going to go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a task that we've been sanctified by one sacrifice to do. There's a promise He's fulfilled. There's an obligation under this promise that we are fulfilling through the power of His Holy Spirit. Uh, I was talking to Philip recently. He, he's really excited, and I am too, based on what he's telling me. There, there's a there's a company, uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators. You, you ever heard of them, Wycliffe? There's a subset of them. I think it's called the Seed Company or something. There's a project underway right now of which I hope we will be very intimately involved. They're looking at possibly 1,860 remaining uh, unpenetrated language groups of people that 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 are have yet to have a written copy of a Bible in their own native language. Eight hundred and uh, I'm sorry, eighteen hundred and sixty. And and the project is something like this. Let's make that zero. And 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 the 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 way that they're trying to structure what they're doing with the translations and all this stuff, they think they can have the Gospel of Luke, some Psalms, uh some some Bible stories to use for discipleship stuff translated into the language of 1,860 remaining groups that they've identified within the next 10 years. 10 years. I'm 43. It's possible if their projections are correct by 53, and I haven't been hit by a bus yet, I will live to see all people groups have at least the Gospel of Luke, Psalms, some, some select Psalms, some stuff. What an amazing thing. Go. You've been set apart. Now, of course, the next step is, what do you do with that? How do you disciple those people? How do you, that's the next step. But man, what a great step that is. That's huge. We've been set apart for that. The task will come to an end. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The task will come to an end. And yet, we live in a holding tank. Not yet. You feel the way of that? Not yet. Within four verses later in Hebrews, remember he, he said this, uh, those who are being sanctified. Four verses later, he starts in, in verse 12. Now the author of Hebrews identifies with this one sacrifice, the same sacrifice, another type of consecration. Verse 12 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, waiting from that time 
until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Conquering king, the idea. Eastern, uh, Middle Eastern, ancient Near East kind of idea of conquering king. But verse 14 says this, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. One sacrifice have been sanctified. Same sacrifice, those who are being sanctified. Are they different people? No, it's a different purpose. It's a different context, really. One is set apart to make disciples. The not yet, the holding tank, I can't go in, I can't go out, is another purpose. Those who are being sanctified. What does that mean? It's not done yet. We're in limbo on this one. What's the procedure here? How are we being consecrated in the not yet? They lived in the courtyard. They couldn't go in. They couldn't go out. They lived next to, in the presence of, sorry, in the presence of the means of their atonement. Right? There's the altar. This is what makes me right with God. The altar. It's right here. And i got to live here in the presence of this altar for until the time is complete. Until it's done. It's not done yet. And so they sit there. They I don't know if they had some kind of dice game or whatever they played by the time. But I hope they weren't doing that. I hope they were looking at the altar going, I need this. Every hour. Most Holy Lord. I hope that's what they're thinking. I hope they're eating of the sacrifice that's been made. I hope that they're thinking through the bread and what it means to be crushed together and made into a, a, a doughy mixture to eat this. Sustain. It's being done. It's a sacrifice that's constantly being made and applied to me while I'm waiting for the time to be complete. I'm not there yet. They're to eat the meal meal regularly, daily. The washing's been done. The anointing has been done. The sacrifice is finished. The burnt and the sin offering have been offered. But we wait. They ate the meal regularly, daily. Similarly, Paul says to us, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes, until it's finished. Communion is a celebration of the ratification of the covenant, the promise that we have inherited Christ. This means of grace has a sanctifying effect on us. We also eat His Word, it says. Use the Word as the bread of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. Sanctify them by your word, Jesus would say. They lived in the courtyard already and not yet. They're priests, but not quite. In the presence of the means of atonement, the altar. Hebrews 13.10 says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Who's the altar? The question presupposes the answer. Who's the altar? Always a good answer in Sunday school. Jesus. 
He's the altar. We live in the shadow of the means of our atonement. The cross is ever before us. It has to be. We're not there yet. We're covered in His blood, anointed with the oil of His Spirit as a seal of the promise to come, and we wait, saying, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's a holding time. We deny ourselves by identifying those things in our own hearts that set themselves up against the supremacy of Christ. Make that apply to me. We submit our wills to God through means of grace. And in doing so, we forsake the old stuff, the old man, to pursue Christ. Follow me. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin. That's the first promise. That's been done. That covenant's been established and, and declared done. Not to deal with sin. We're already sanctified that way. But to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. That's in Hebrews 9.28. What's the task for which we are being sanctified now? What's, why are we in the holding tank? What's going on there? What's the purpose? Sanctification, Sanctification for what? To do what? To be the bride. Went to a wedding yesterday. It seems like every weekend I'm going to a wedding. At some point, you know, this is the season, I guess. This and, and, and then the spring. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. I've never been to a wedding where the bride <laughs> looks like she woke up Saturday morning after a late Friday night. Right. Never seen that. Never seen a bride walk down the aisle in blue jean shorts and a shirt that says, you know, I'm with stupid or something, you know. Never seen that. Or who farted or something. I don't know. Some, some, you never see those kinds of shirts on the bride going down the aisle. I'll edit that out later. The, <laughs> never looks like it's off the clearance rack at Walmart. The girl, is she's decked. She's had the makeup done because Lord knows you can't do it yourself in the wedding day. Uh, and, and we'd know if she did. Um, decked out. In fact, she is presenting to her future husband, to her groom and the world, something better than she is. Right? She's made herself better than she is. And that, of course, is true. I mean, if Tammy wakes up on Saturday morning and, and looks like that, I'm thinking, what are you doing? We've got to go build a goat fence. There's life to live. You don't live that way. Only one bride will. There's only one. It's His. Hmm. Alright. 1 John 3.3 3. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself 
as He is pure. There's effort to be made during this waiting period and we dare not leave. Those who leave prove that they never belonged here in the courtyard to begin with. Let that sink in. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have continued in the sacrifices. They would have continued in living in the shadow of the altar. They would have continued in making themselves pure and holy because that's the covenant that they agreed to. You can't go in yet because we're not done with a thorough consecration. What's the evidence of that? I'm not done with a thorough consecration. I still sin. My heart's not there. My heart's still junked up. I still do stupid things. I know what's right to do. I know what is wise to do. (laughs) I've received the Word. I've received good counsel. I know what's right to do. And yet, I don't deny myself. I don't submit to the will of Christ. And I don't pursue Him. Many, many times. There's a song, I don't know if you remember, by. uh, there's a band, Audio Adrenaline, anybody heard of them? There's an old song. It's still new to me, but it's like 14, 15 years old now, I guess. Sometimes I'm a man of God. Sometimes I'm all right. It's still there. It's not done. Is that just me? Like the priests, we live in the presence of our means of atonement. Like the priests, it's very evident that we're not holy, we're not blameless, we're not undefiled, we don't really belong here. We're not like Him. Yet. Yet. But He's made this promise. I love this. Matthew thirteen forty three says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. That's the promise. That's where we're going. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. One day the wait will be over. Are you eagerly waiting? Are you preparing Are you making yourself ready? Or are you distracted with lesser things? Are you shopping at the clearance rack of Walmart for your wedding day? (laughs) You hope in Him, we make ourselves pure as He's working in us. Does that make sense? Yes? Have I beat this horse dead yet? Okay, yes. Um, I was just thinking, it reminded me of... um, I did a Bible study a long time ago about the Bride of Christ. And in the Jewish culture, apparently the bride was to be ready 
and she didn't know when her groom's procession would would come down the street to pick her up for the wedding and it was the father of the groom who decided the timing wow. for the groom to go get his bride hmm. and so anyway I just think that cultural <coughs> context is really right right too. and just in the idea of being ready yeah good any other comments it's just 10 10 Get 30 minutes to go before church starts anyway. <laughs> Kidding. All right. Let's pray. Father, we're often torn between wanting certain events to happen in the life that we have now and wanting to be with Christ. There are many things that, that have hold of our hearts, what we want to experience, what we want to do, our bucket list, whatever it is, and yet we eagerly await to see Christ. Would you make our hearts to be those that are fully, wholly, completely devoted to want to see Him? And as we long for Him, as we, see, as we want to see Him, as we try to learn about Him, every scrap of evidence that we can get of who He is, as we search your Scripture, as we talk about who He is, what He's done, what He is doing in our lives... Would you make us love Him and Him alone and not be distracted by shiny other things? It's so easy. Even things that seem good become idle so quickly. As we live now in the holding time between His ascension and His return, Make us faithful to both covenants that are at work right now. That we would make ourselves pure. That we would put in the effort to work because He's working in us now. Because we don't want to be ashamed of His appearing. But also make us faithful to the covenant that's done. That we've been sanctified to do. That we would be bold in proclaiming the good news be reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of His Son. We're inadequate for both tasks. And yet you and your grace have made us fit and are making us fit for both purposes in the sacrifice of your Son. Help us to make much of Him in both ways, both in proclaiming Him and in growing in grace and holiness and blamelessness and righteousness. Don't let us forsake either, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.